let's get into the thick of it, Simon. Oh, let's do an intro. <laughs> That was the intro. intro. No, no, all right, okay then. Go on, go on, start again. I do apologise. Let's get into the thick of it, Simon. Oh, Let's get man. serious. Yeah. We're going for two and two and one and one of the top <laughs> albums of all time. Is this still the intro? Are you having a stroke? Yeah, no. The- uh. <laughs> I try to diversify our introduction. <laughs> right, okay. Go more on. sexy. Um, so just, this, just, this is, this just, is a, just just listening, listening and repeating numbers. <laughs> so this is this is a final one, and it's going to be roughly a one hour. Um, we're gonna we're gonna round it off and finish it up. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed it. Evidently, some of you must have. Um, so enjoy what's to follow. As always, follow us, like us on our Facebook page at the uh, just uh, at Simon and Ross Podcast. We also have uh, an email address um, that you can send any feedback to. Simon, what's that email address? <laughs> Simon and Ross. At Yahoo. At Yahoo.co.uk. Yahoo. Yeah. It's worth mentioning as well, we're thinking about uh, what we can do next. Uh, obviously, uh, I think it would be a little bit more boring if we went back and did our top 20, you know, from 20 to 11. Um, so... <laughs> We're, we're trying to maybe throw it out to other people out there. So if anyone would like to join us, they don't have to meet us in person. Uh, we can do it via Zoom uh, at, at an arrange, pre-arranged time. Well, you know, I've actually had, a, since, since we created the Facebook page, um, there's been um, several people who've reached out to me and said, oh, you know, I've always wanted to do something like that. What's it like to do a podcast and what have you? And I've, and I've said, well, look, the, ne- the next... We don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, is is just to get get other people involved and really talk about something that they're comfortable talking about. So it's not just two people nerding out about something that we're really no, passionate it's, about. It could be it's three people nerding out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Far more yeah. interesting. On some, some equally tedious topic. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so if anyone do, uh, would like to do that with us, then uh, let us know via the Facebook page or email or however. And um, we can set that up uh, for the near future. So it's not the end of the podcast as it stands. Well, no, it is. You. But, uh, but yeah. <laughs> um, so, yes. So let's go to the music. I'll go first. Okay. So, number two, my number two most favorite album of all time will give you some clues. So, this was one that's probably quite easy to work out in terms of the artist, but the album was really difficult. And I think a lot of fans of this band will uh, think I'm mad for actually picking this album. But you've had a few like that, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah where you've thought, you know, it's either been the point where people have started sort of saying, oh, they've gone downhill or yeah, yeah, yeah. It's regarded as not the best. And, 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 and I think this album is, it kind of falls into that category, though whenever I've met sort of fans of the band, the, the better, more upstanding fans of the band tend to really rate this album just as much as I do. Right. And I think as well, I mean, it's just, I think it's just track to track. It's the strongest I think that every single song on there, there's not one that I like to skip. 
Um, wow. I'll give you I'll, I'll give you some sort of facts about it and see if you can see if you can get close. Um, so it was it was released in two thousand and fifteen. Right. Okay. okay. Um, it's been uh, released on CD and black and white Newbury Comics um, and UK Blue Vinyl. Um, they did um, another special edition um, on their Record Store twelve inch um, limited edition vinyl um with some bonus tracks on there it's how many did it sell yeah i mean it debuted when it was released it debuted at number one on the top rock albums chart and number 11 on the billboard 200 it sold twenty six thousand copies in the first week and it's the best chart ranking achieved on both charts by this band as well as the best weekly sales so it broke a few records when it was released the band themselves have been around since the sort of 80s. They've got a Laura Laura albums out. This was their, without just trying to rattle them off in my head, let me just double check how many they do have. 12, 13, 14. I'd say they've got about 13 albums that are, that are legitimate outside of like live special release albums and things like that. This album was their... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. 11th album that they released uh, came out on October the 2nd, 2015 from Weathermaker, which is actually their own label. Are you getting anywhere with this? I want to say Pink Floyd, but I don't think it is. No, it's not Pink Floyd. Right. To be honest, the, the, the top two were probably the easiest for me to pick because it's the ones that just immediately spring to mind without having to do too much sifting around. So they've, they've, my top two pretty much went in straight away and, and, and stayed there. Uh, is, is it a band I like? I don't think so. Is, is it on the heavier end? Uh, I, don't, I don't think so, no. It, it depends if you class, like, if you were to say, like, a Led Zeppelin heavy. I don't know. I don't, I know, don't, oh, I don't it's know. It's on the rock and roll spectrum for sure. Right, okay. Okay. That's probably uh, the saddest thing I've ever said. <laughs> when i said that then i almost felt like wrinkles appear on my face and i felt like i had a sort of like a flash forward to like when i was 65 years old that, telling that's, that sounds like the result of a meeting you had with a psychiatrist <laughs> i think he's on the rock and roll spectrum <laughs> well you know uh, what they've got a really really good song that um does it appear on this album or i don't think it, i don't think it is on this album but have they have they sort of they've got a sort of to your point that you just said they've got a point they've got a song sorry on this album called noble savage and it's about uh, a guy who uh, goes into uh it, the, the the frontman is a man called neil fallon Right. And he goes into a bank and he's trying to apply for, for a loan. And they say to him, what's your occupation? And he says, oh, I'm, I'm, he says, I'm in a band. And, and then immediately he gets this sort of, all uh, oh, right, like he's not taken seriously because he's a full-time musician. And in right, the lyric okay. of the song, he justifies it by saying, I'm a noble savage and an and, and unapologetic lifer of rock and roll. He says, thank you for taking your time out of your day. Uh, your sponsors will allow us to sell you in a better way. Did you not realise that I'm a sophisticated man and an, and an unapologetic lifer for rock and roll? It's a really, really cool song and really cool lyrics. That's one of my favourite tracks off the album. 
So, with he, with he saying that um, with he saying that there were easy ones, the, the only ones on, the only people that I could think of that you'd have an immediate thing for would be Pink Floyd and then Tool. Tool. I've always liked Tool, but I've certainly never uh, sort of ranted and raved about them. I, I, I do not know. Is the, the record store day thing is throwing me a little bit because I'm I'm trying to think, but it was five years ago that, so I can't possibly remember. Yeah. Okay. So, do, do, do you want me to give it to you? I, I give up, Ross. I give up. So the band is Clutch. <laughs> no, that's who I was thinking of when I said Tool. Where's it got that from? Oh uh, yeah. Tool, Tool are fantastic, and the and the new album um, was actually really good. I really enjoyed it, but no, they don't come close. Um, it's so Clutch, and and the album is Psychic Warfare. Right. Okay. And um, yeah, so it's it's just uh, I don't have many sort of weird and odd little sort of charming stories or facts about it, other than <laughs> it's just an absolutely cracking album, and it was actually a lot lighter. I would say it's it's still definitely sort of hard rock, but compared to the sort of some of the some of the um, tuning they used and, and the feel of the previous album, which was Earth Rocker. Earth Rocker was a lot harder and a lot faster, and Psychic Warfare, although it's still very much a rock and roll album, I just felt like the just the um, Neil Fallon is a fantastic lyricist and songwriter, and, and all of his songs are always so interesting. But quite often, his lyrics are really elusive, and he sort of draws upon how would you describe his lyrics? He sort of takes elements of mythology and sticks them into modern day society. And when he when he sings about things, it's like, what the hell does he mean by that? But when he's on stage, he's always very like he's pointing at people, and it's like he's teaching you and telling you something that is very very important. But it sounds like absolute gibberish. But it's because his references are so out there. And Psychic Warfare was one of the first albums of Clutch where the lyrics actually made sense without having to do too much research. So I mean, some of the some of the, the track listings, you know, I mean, he's got X-ray visions that you may have. I mean, they, they've released a few videos. Um, X-ray visions was the first one that they released. They released a quick death in Texas, which is really really good. I think that they released Son of Virginia as well, the last song. Yeah, and Sucker for the Witch is probably one of my favourite songs on that album. That's really really good. But it's just a great a storytelling album. It's not a concept album or anything like that. But um, it's just really interesting to actually listen to it when you've got lyrics that, that really that sort of captivate and, and, and grab your attention. And then underpinned by that is just some really solid rock blues and prog style playing. It's just an absolutely fantastic album. Um, and it's probably the Clutch album that I've listened to. That, that I, again, on another day, I could have picked another Clutch album. Yeah, I mean, Earth Rocker's fantastic. I mean, the, the album that actually got me into Clutch was an album called Blast Tyrant, and that was released sort of quite a long time. I mean, Blast Tyrant was released in 2004. So how long have they actually been around for? Well, the, 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 the first sort of official album they released was 1993. That was called Transnational Speedway League. It, well, its full, its full title is Trans Transnational Speedway League Anthems, Anecdotes and Undeniable Truths. Oh, snappy, isn't it? Um, that was that was that was their first album, but it, it's absolutely put you know it's pulls apart from what they sound like now. They were quite um, they've always been regarded as sort of kings of the underground of Clutch, and the, the, the closest they got to having a sort of a radio friendly like the song was a song called Electric Worry. You'll probably come across that one. It's the one that like a lot of sort of 
you know, passive clutch fans nor that song. Um, it was off the From Beale Street to Oblivion album in 2007. And that's the one that sort of goes, uh, it goes bang, 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 vamanos, vamanos, bang, 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 vamanos. It's got, it was released as a video and, and it went on the radio and everybody said, again, it's, it's, a, it's another you can call me out for me. Like I skip it <laughs> all the time. It's overplayed and it, it, it actually overshadowed a lot of the other, what I think, better tracks on the album. So, so yeah, um, Psychic Warfare was actually, it's really late on compared to a lot of the other awesome albums. And I, I could pick, I could, I could have picked Blast Tyrant. Uh, Pure Rock Fury was released before that. I could easily have had that as my favorite Clutch album, to be honest. But I just think in terms of really understanding what the album was about and what, what Neil Fallon was writing and singing about and the inspiration behind the riffs, I think Psychic Warfare for me is probably the most accessible one. Um, and they are, they've recently covered, um, so that they've recently been doing what they call the, the Weathermaker um, Vault series, which is that they're, they're essentially remastering old songs, like re-recording, well, not remastering, re-recording them completely and doing a few covers in there. And um, they released them without any warning. You'll just get a notification on Spotify saying Clutch have just bung this out. And recently they covered one of my all-time favorite songs, and it's by Credence Clearwater Revival. The song is uh, the song is Fortunate Son, yeah. Um, and they, they covered that, and it was just stunning. It just sounds amazing. It's a perfect cover for a band like Clutch. So uh, yeah, I mean, the, the Clutch have been one of my favourite bands for a lot, you know, for at least you know half my life. I'd say, I'd say for the for the last sort of thirteen to fifteen years, Clutch have been always been one of my favourite bands, and when I, I followed them sort of religiously, and it's good that you get, you know, they're, they're not. Um, they're not flashy. They're not like on stage. It's not like a, they're all incredibly static except from the frontman. Right. There's absolutely zero interaction with the crowd. They're very just like, they go out there, there's nothing, you know, they're all just a bunch of blokes who are sort of middle-aged and uh, just love to do what they do and are fantastic at it. And there's no sort of airs and graces. It's just, this is clutch. My number two, right. So, as I mentioned last time, this was released two weeks after my number three. It's the band's second album. Uh, it was released on the seventh of September, nineteen eighty-seven. Uh, Q Magazine placed it at number twenty-two in the best albums of uh, the eighties. Uh, saw four million copies worldwide. Uh, went triple platinum in the UK. Five sing. It had five singles from the album, including three number one singles, a number two, and the number. Eight. The album led to a film. The one of the songs was co-written by Ennio Morricone of uh, country and westerns. <laughs> Ennio Morricone's done absolutely all songs. Yeah, released on Parlophone Records, the same as the Beatles. That's all I've got. <laughs> um, right, so it's not. A, it's a. It's it's a very popular album then. Certainly at the at the time, definitely. I think the album cover. I think you'd recognize as well uh, is it oasis no 1987 oh, it's 80, so sorry i missed that bit it was oh. released in 1987 so uh, oh, the pesh mode no nope. um can you give me a little bit more insight into the band themselves rather than just the steps of the <laughs> album uh they met an electronic shop in the king's road 
Well, hang on a minute. I thought you'd already had Pet Shop Boys. No. Have you not? No. Oh, right. See, I'd have said that's true. I had it in my head that you've already used your Pet Shop Boys. No, token. token. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. Uh, I mean, I do always carry a Pet Shop Boys token around with me just in case, <laughs> you know. There's a chance I might meet him in Manchester. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's... Uh, I know you probably won't know the album, but uh, it's actually... Right. First of all, for a little while, it was my number one. And then I realised it probably isn't. Um, and then, obviously... I know, obviously, Clutch had done 13 albums. They've now done 15 albums, along with a lot of other, a lot of other things on top of it. But, as, a, as I mentioned before, it was one of the three first CDs that my dad bought, along with Whitney Houston and uh, the Sgt. Pepper. And I think, I don't know, I'm, I'm trying not to get too passionate. I'm trying to, 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 to maintain it, to maintain a level. Um, but Be passionate. That's why it's, it's your number I, two. There's no it's, about number eight and well charlotte's there listening as well so it just uh, she, she's 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 had 20 odd years of this um but it's the kind of album i mean the, the singles uh off it were it's a sin which everyone's heard of yeah. uh what have i done to deserve this with dusty springfield uh rent and then Heart, you know, like I say, two of those got to number one. They also, in, in between, because the album did so well, they were asked to go on to, 87 was the 10th year anniversary of when uh, Elvis had died. So they did a special for TV. So they had a load of celebrity, you know, uh, current pop stars redoing Elvis songs. And that's when, that's why they did Always On My Mind. And then the record company loved it put it out in the middle of an album campaign in America. They had to rush release it where they kind of added that onto it. That went to number one. The next song went to number one. Um, at that point, the, the B sides were as good as the actual songs. They, they, you know, they seemed to put as much effort into the B sides as they did into that because of that album. Obviously I went, cause it was their second album. It's the first album I heard went back and listened to, Please, which was the first album, and then Disco, which was like a remix album that came out in between the two. Um, but all the singles <laughs> up to that point, um, like I say, because they, they didn't feel that they wanted to tour at that point, because they, first of all, I think they weren't sure if they could tour, because um, they were just used to recording, you know, in a studio with plinky plonky computers and things. So they were going to do like an extended concert type thing, they decided that that wasn't going to work and they ended up doing a film and the film was basically just from the songs from the two album. I think I read somewhere there the the only band to have done a feature film that was released in the cinema before actually touring or doing well, uh, it couldn't happen here, um, which is one. It's one of the weirdest. I wouldn't actually recommend watching it. I will be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, um, I made Charlotte watch it in 1999, and I've not been allowed to show it her again. But it's. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, it, it couldn't happen here. Was the one that was was co-written with Ennio Morricone, um, and he did a lot of the orchestration behind it and everything like that. Um, I, I believe he they didn't meet. They, they, he just sent them a piece of music and they just said, you can do whatever you want with this piece of music. Um, right. And then they wrote the song around it. Bob C has got credits on it and things like that. This is the one that features the, you know, the collaboration with Dusty Springfield. What have I done to deserve okay. this? 
reinvigor- re- reinvigorating her career. She'd not had a hit for 30 years. Um, and on the back of that, she was able to, to have another album, which they co-produced half of it. Um, so revitalized her career quite near the end of her life. Yeah, jump to carry on. I can carry on. Um, so, um, so, so West, West, End, West End Girls isn't on that album? Then. No, uh, that's off Please, the first album. Right, okay. So it's actually their most successful album? Um, technically introspective, which I've swapped out about five times. Not, not once I wrote it down, but that introspective was potentially going to be my number two. Right. Um, the only reason why I didn't is because that's the album that pro- that's the album that probably means more to me actually, because um, it was the first one I listened to properly. Please actually kind of have a classic Pet Shop Boys sound. Um, they were recorded very close to each other, I believe. Some of the recording students, you know, they've recorded. I think it's a sin at the time of Please, but they held it off for the next album and things like that. So the sound between the two is quite similar. Yeah. Once you got once you got into introspective, they were quite heavily influenced by sort of acid house and things like that. So it was a bit more dancey. Um, yeah. And that album, I, I could put I could put introspective on and listen to the whole thing all the way through many many times. Um, it's just a tricky one. There's only six songs on that that album, but they're all twelve inch length. So I think Left to My Devices is about eight minutes long. Um, it's all right. It's I think about eleven minutes long. They're all quite long. Songs, yeah. <laughs> Have you seen Pet Shop Boys live before? Have I seen them live? Uh, I think twelve times now. Yeah, talk this way. Are they, are they from England? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Chris um, is from Blackpool. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, Neil is from South Shields in Newcastle, near Newcastle. Yeah. All oh, right, okay. Uh, there's, there's sort of something they've been pretty consistent over the years haven't they they haven't sort of had yep. any they haven't had any like big four there's not much, much no. sort of drama that goes around the pet shop because you know typically when you have bands that have gone through sort of like sort of three or four decades it's almost impossible to not have some kind of hiatus or some drama or but they've been pretty um, consistent haven't they the pet shop boys they have yeah i mean i think the longest gap between anything has been this last this last one i think it was four years between albums but that was only really um, like a, a release sort of issue or, or something. It should it should have come out last year. I can't actually remember why, but there was a, it got pushed back and pushed back slightly. So it, it, yeah, it, yeah, it came out in uh, January, the same day as the Eminem album. Oh, right. um, so uh, it, uh, by the day before the charts came out, they were still beating him, and then someone else got to number one, so they ended up with number three. But you know, to say that. I don't know, but they're they're at retirement age, yeah. Um, and um, they've been going. I mean, first Western Girls came out late '85, so we're talking how long is that? How many years is that? Thirty-five years. I had that on this morning in the show. What's that? Western Girls. Um, oh, I, know, I know it's it's your you can call me Al, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they've they've done many many other songs. Yeah, um, yeah, I, think but the, the, I think it was also it was on them. Um, didn't they? Did they use it on like a Grand Theft Auto game? Um, I believe I, I, I get told all the time that the songs are on things like that uh, on, yeah. on, on the eighties radio on Grand Theft Auto. Or well, when they, or did, when they did when they did Vice City, um, Vice City has uh, you know um, it's well known for its soundtrack. 
Yeah. Well, any time I put a CD on or my iPod on, everyone goes, "Oh, this was on Vice City. This you should listen. You should you should just you should play it just for the radio station." It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, much like the entire Scarface soundtrack as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you've heard that, um, you, yeah, you, you'd love that album. Uh, it's got a lot of right. belters on there from the eighties. Uh, and I think, yeah, but I, I mean, like I say, so we're talking a band that that has been been relatively successful for 35 years yeah i can't i can't think of anyone else that have either that are still around now that they, they do well in their own way you know a top three album for you know a couple of 60 odd year old men yeah. <laughs> uh is, is pretty unheard of and like i said there are a couple of bands that i like that have gone away and come back after 10 15 years yeah. Um, every two, three years, they release another album, go on tour, have a break, come back, do the same thing. And is it arenas they play? How do they, do they, do they play smaller gigs at all? Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. The, the, uh, during the 2000s, they, they, they did release an album which didn't do particularly well at all. Um, so they'd gone from doing the arenas you know, 99, 2000, the nightlife tour was in, in, in like here with Manchester arena. Next time I saw them in 2005, they were at the O2 in Manchester. And I must admit, I kind of thought, well, it's downward spiral now. And then when the yes album came out in 2009, um, they got the Brit award for outstanding performance in music. That's it. So they had a big 10 minute, essentially greatest hits medley. And they were asked to go on tour again, and they went to all the, the with the same tour they'd already done a tour with, went around the arenas, and they were full again. Right. So it just seems to come in in waves, sort of thing, you know. I think it's, 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 it's strange, you know. There's, and I think only with bands that have been that have such a large back catalogue will you find those albums that are just dog shit. I mean, when you said, oh, there's not many bands out there that have been doing it, but the first band that came to mind was, was Metallica. Yeah. Um, which was um, my top. Well, it was number seven. I ended up swapping it out. <laughs> but didn't you also say there was a 12-year gap between albums? Yeah. And, and the thing is, they, they, they put out some absolute shite. Yeah. Um, but, it, but it was more to do with... Um, everything that was going on with the band was reflected in the quality of the music. Yeah. And, and it was quite upsetting when you, when, when you released that, and I'm digressing a bit here, but, but the, when they released a Some Kind of Monster um, feature film that was actually in the cinema, you know, I mean, yeah. when that came out, you went to the cinema to see it. And um, it just, you realise, like, half of the, the, the documentary was watching some blokes who have been absolute pioneers of a genre yeah. genuinely genuinely struggled to put pen to paper in a studio yeah and everything they did like everything sounded shit and they were, it was it was quite sort of harrowing it was it was quite sad to see and and, and I, I gave up on metallica completely and then they they throw hardwired to self-destruct in your face after so many years of putting out crap and it was like fucking hell yeah and i think i mean really i think out of 14 or 15 albums they've done there's only one that's a bit iffy and I'd still listen to it. You know, there's no problem with it. It's just a couple of tracks that I do tend to skip, but I, I've, uh, this, this tour that was just about to, to go, it was starting now sort of thing that's just been canceled as a greatest hits tour. 
which they've never done before. And oh yeah, I've just remembered I, I, I haven't got tickets to that one. <laughs> I'm, go, I'm going to try for next year now. Uh, now they've been re- redone, but it will cost. You know, the, a, a fairly decent seat now is about 150 pounds. Yeah, it's a shame. And, and that's not them. That's that's just what tickets are now to get a half decent seat now, isn't it? Um, but I, I remember when I went to, I, I had the ticket stub for a long time for uh, when I was, the first tour they did was 1989. So I was 14 and uh, went to Birmingham, went to Birmingham NEC on my own um, to go and see it on a coach. <laughs> and I think I paid, I think it was 12.50 for the ticket. No, that was a long, long, long time ago. But it's always at the back of your mind when you look at ticket prices at 150 quid and you think, you know, it's uh, quite yeah. late. But, but on the other hand, they make no money on record sales anymore. So they've got to make money somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not just that. It's, the t- you know, not that I buy a T-shirt, but, you know, they're 30 quid. A programme, like you said, I don't know, you're going to get one from Les Mis, won't you? But a programme's 15 quid now. They probably should be my number one, but I do think what I've got for number one is... Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it has left you in, really, what you're... Yeah. Again, obviously, with the kind of conversation we've been having, you know, I, I can't think of anyone that's had a 35-year... year. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> had two, a career, that's the one. I've had two sips of beer, they're kicking in. Um, and still can have a num- number three album this year. And I, I think it, it's, it's strange as well, because you know, if, uh, all, the only people I could think of were, were Rolling Stones that are still around. Yeah. But they've not, they've not done anything decent since mid eighties. No. Are they, I mean, are they still putting out new material? I, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I think so. I don't, I, but I, I just, I, they're, they're a band that, I'm not necessarily they should stop, but maybe they should. Yeah. <laughs> So should, should we do should we do a, a chart rundown uh, of our top ten? Yeah. Okay. Right. I'll do the I, I'll do the uh, I'll do the top of the pops music for the rundown for you, and then you do it for me. Are you ready? Uh, and now for Ross's top ten countdown, going through ten to number two. Hello. Uh, go on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought you said. I thought you said like you'll do mine and I'll do yours. But I no, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it through a medium of a uh, song and interpretive dance. That's how I'm gonna represent your top ten. All right, let's start. We had the original uh, 1985 London production of uh, Les Miserables, followed by number nine, we had James Wynn's War of the Worlds. Number eight, we had Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young with Deja Vu. Number seven, we had Simon and Garfunkel, Ashley's Bridge, Ros
Number four, we had type O negative, life is killing me. Number three, we had Paul Simon, great And number two, we had clutch and psychic warfare. Good. <laughs> right, okay. So go ahead. Do mine, do mine. <laughs> in at number 10 is Scarlett Johansson and Anywhere I Lay My Head, I think. And uh, number nine is The Beatles with Sgt. Pepper. Uh, number eight is a, a re-entry with the original soundtrack to Chess. Uh, number seven is Daft Punk and Random Access Memories. <laughs> Uh, number six, I changed for the Rocky Horror Show. <laughs> uh, number five is Suede and the Blue Hour. Number four, down from last year, um, is Erasure and Erasure. Number three, New Order, Substance, 1907. Doesn't cl class as a compilation album. Number two is Pet Shop Boys and Actually. Thanks. <laughs> Smooth. My number one. Yep. Um, I, I wonder, just out of interest, um, could you get it without me even giving anyone? Pink Floyd, I wish you were here. Incorrect. On both counts? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, the division bell. Let's, uh, let's, let's, let's let me give us some clues. Okay. So this album was their eighth studio album. Division Bell. It was released on the 1st of March, 1973. Oh. And it was primarily developed uh, using live performances. And the band um, premiered an early version of the record several months before recording actually began. And then new material was recorded in two, se two sessions, 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 <laughs> two sessions in 1972 and 1973 at Abbey Road Studios in London. Um, it's a concept album. Its themes um, explore conflict, greed, time, death and mental illness. The latter partly inspired by the deteriorating health of the founding member who departed the group in 1968. Um, they used recording techniques that were quite innovative at the time for recording, such as multi-track recording, tape loops and analog synthesizers. They also featured heavily snippets from interviews with the band's road crew, as well as philosophical quotations. Um, they recruited uh, Claire Torrey to sing on one of their tracks. Um, the sleeve, the album cover, is also very iconic. It was designed by their long-time album designer Storm Ferguson. Are you purposely ignoring the screen? You are? Are you purposely ignoring the screen? Oh, I, I, was, I actually wasn't looking, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes, that's, that's the <laughs> <laughs> So Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon? Correct. Very yeah, good. That's, that's, yeah, that is, that's got to be my number one. Um, <clears throat> it's, it's largely regarded as one of the greatest albums of all time. Yeah, I mean it's it charted for over nine hundred weeks in total. Um, estimated sales were around forty-five million copies. Um, wow. It's it's the band's best-selling album, and uh, and it's one of the all-time best-selling albums worldwide. 
Um, and, and it was this album that actually propelled them into super stardom, you know what I mean, before that. And, and you, you're obviously, it was, it was quite interesting that as soon as I said eighth studio album, you jumped about two decades later from where yeah. I was. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think it's because I, you, with them, you forget how many they did before Dark Side of the Moon. Um, you know, I mean, if you, if you take it from the, the the real first album, Piper at the Gates of Dawn, yeah. Um, you know, in, in between that and Dark Side of the Moon, you still had some awesome albums. Like you had Sourceful of Secrets, which is yeah. one of my favourite albums. That was 1968. You had Oma Gummer, 1969. Um, Atom Heart Mother, which is a yeah. great album, 1970. Yeah. Medal, which is another awesome album, 71. Yeah. And then Dark Side of the Moon in 73. Yeah. So you had a lot of really good stuff um, between between Pipe of the Gates and Dark Side of the Moon, but um, it was really Dark Side that was that's what got them really big, you know. I, th- I think obviously from from listening to them all, it is kind of the one where what I'm trying to say, it, they, they kind of get they, they kind of become Pink Floyd at that point, don't they? Um, it, it's a, maybe a little bit. They sort of uh, I don't know. She, Shake this kind of shake off the sort of hippie side. Not hippie. Yeah. I don't. I don't mean that in a derogatory way, really. Even it found the sound. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was the first album where they managed to. It's almost like the perfect logical out that sort of end point you came before. Yeah. And when you listen to the other albums, especially when you listen to Atom Heart, Mother, and Metal, you you can sort of thing building and building and building. A dark side of the moon, I think, is sort of it makes absolute sense that that's where they arrived. Yeah. Looking at their older material, and I think the albums before that, you you know, it was more appealing to, you know, it didn't have much structure. Yeah, you, you know, the songs sort of, you know, the really long instrumental parts that weren't as, you know, unless you're really. But people, you know, I mean, people go back and listen to that now, and it sounds amazing. But at the time of its release, if something, you know, Saucer Full of Secrets came out. It's better in hindsight than it would have been when it was first released. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so, 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 Dark Side of the Moon, yeah, was the, the first point where they actually put it all, all the pieces of the puzzle came together when they made that album. Um, and I, I rate it far higher than uh, Wish You Were Here. Um, I rate it a lot higher than Animals. You know, I mean, they're, they're both amazing albums in their own yeah. right. But Dark Side of the Moon is the beginning to all of it. Yeah. Uh, um, and I, you know, I mean, I've I've watched the um, one of one of my favourite live music DVDs is live at Pompeii, where they perform a lot of stuff off metal and source of full of secrets, and they, they do an amazing performance of Echoes, and all of that is intercut with the Abbey Road Studios footage of them making Dark Side of the Moon, and uh, watching that process is just uh, it's something else. Honestly, I, I mean, I worship that DVD at one point. I just cut every night, every night I couldn't stop watching the bloody live <laughs> stuff and watching Dark Side of the Moon come together. So, well, when, when you when you said um, when you said uh, I think your Peter Gabriel was a live album, the first thing I thought of was Live in Pompeii. But you'd yeah. already, you'd already said that it was a solo artist. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a bit like you were Pet Shop Boys. I could go on and on and on about it. <laughs> it's just you know they've obviously they've, they've got a really interesting past as a band, and yeah. what happened to them before that point is sort of more interesting than anything that happened after, really. You know, there's there's not many albums that they all truly worked together on, even yeah. as they continue to be under the banner of Pink Floyd. 
um, you know, a lot of the albums started becoming more, um, I mean, Wish You Were Here and Animals was a lot of uh, a collaborative effort, really, but not quite as much as Dark Side of the Moon. And the sort of, as the band went on, obviously, Roger Waters became a lot more of a, um, a sort of overbearing presence and, and Pink Floyd sort of started turning into, into his band. Yeah. And the sound started changing. Not necessarily for the worst. I mean, there's some awesome, I mean, look, look, look at the wall. Yeah. You know, I mean, the wall, that's not really a Pink Floyd. That's a Roger, no. Roger Waters album. <laughs> no, that's it. Um, but it's still amazing. It's still absolutely amazing. Um, and I, I think David Gilmore had a lot to do with the writing of Comfortably Numb. Yeah. Um, but Dark Side of the Moon is an example of all of the band actually completely owning their own stations without anybody being too overbearing. And you can see that in the... Um, in the studio footage of the recording, you can actually see that they're all going in there and writing their own parts and feeling their own parts, whereas that became less and less as the band went on. Um, I think it's, it's a whole thing as well, isn't it? I mean, you, you, you know that a lot of people just buy it for the cover. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I've known a few people who've just bought the album to frame it. Yeah, well, I mean... <laughs> Neither, neither of those things happen by accident. You don't have one of the best-selling albums ever and the, the cover is an absolute complete piece of dog shit, do you? It, it's, it's obviously, because it's a whole thing. They obviously thought about everything. And like, like I said, it, it's one of them albums that every, everyone seems to have. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's aware of, of something on that album. And the thing is, yeah. again, you know what? There's another you can call me out on there for me. Uh, do, you know, do you know what it is? Uh, for me, it's money. Yeah. On that, um, I don't like. I don't like money. I, I do like. I do like money. Money as in cash. But I, that song, I, I can't stand. Well, I, 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 I really like the song. I don't dislike the song, but it gets skipped all the time. Yeah. Uh, just because it's one of them. I, I knew about money before I knew about Pink Floyd. Well, that, well, the, the the problem for me was a, a lot because uh, obviously I, I used to watch the TV in it a lot in the eighties because uh, I didn't have a girlfriend, and. Um, if you if you saw any any news article, anything that was about business or yuppies or you know um, anything sort of London stock exchange related, yeah. it would start off with that. Yeah, yeah. And that. They must have had. They must have been able to live off the royalties of just that track being used on news programs and consumer programs for the rest of their lives. And it is as soon as it comes on, it's it's not a low point because obviously it's a good song. It's just you think, no, I can't be bothered with that. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's also like guilty by association, isn't it? Um, yeah. It, when it gets pinned to so many different things, and you, and then again, you can call me Ali is exactly a pit of me of that. It yeah. just gets, it just gets fused to death, and uh, which which incidentally is almost the name of one of the Roger Waters albums, "Amused to Death." Right. Uh, but uh, it's uh, yeah, it just it just spoils it, and you know, I mean, it was the only song that I knew by off, off that album before I'd even heard the album. Well, for, for me as well, though, um, the Great Geek in the Sky was another one. That was heavily used uh, when Neurofen came out in the eighties. They used that song um, to advertise Neurofen. Right. So, uh, so it's. I thought it was just the song from the Neurofen advert. It's a shame that because it is. <laughs> 
you know, quite quite a funny sort of little anecdote about when they were recording um, the Great Dig in the Sky. You know, the so they used Claire Story to actually sing on the. Um, they just treated her as session musician, musician, didn't they? Well, she she was. It wasn't so much. That. I mean, the thing is, the band were very, um, you know, they, they were quite passive with people who came into the studio, and it's just the way they were. But so that, they're all quite private people, really. But Claire Story came in, and uh, you know, um, she uh, did a couple of takes of it, and you know, they would just sort of nod and be like, "Yeah, you know that." Yeah, that's getting there. You know, that's the direction that we want to head in. Try and do a little bit more of this, and try and. And so when she actually did the final take, and and nailed the nailed the vocals, and it's really powerful, isn't it? I mean, her voice yeah. that, it is amazing. Whether you're bored or whatever you associate it with, it is an absolutely amazing yeah. uh, song and vocal performance. And so she, she you know, there's, 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 uh, in one of the books that I've read, I read a book called Pigs Might Fly, and it's like, uh, it's just like an author, it's just a biography, it's a Pink Floyd biography. And it talks about um, the feeling in the studio when she was doing that. And she absolutely belted out this amazing performance, and she was sort of even emotionally overcome herself with how much that she put into it, and the final chord was laid down, and that was, you know, she took the headphones off, and... Uh, she looked at the band who were all behind the screen and uh, they, they just, she looked at them, expecting them to be like, wow. And they just sort of looked through the glass and went, yeah, I think that's the one. Thanks for coming in. Anticlimax. She said to herself publicly that it felt so anticlimactic because she yeah. laid down and, and they just weren't that. But, but they, they weren't like that anyway. No, you know it's amazing when you see when you see the footage of the naked dark side of the moon. What they're coming out with, it's clearly obvious that the band had absolutely no idea of just how good the stuff was yeah. that they were laying down because you know they all confessed that they had no way of anticipating. Because when you've done seven albums and then all of a sudden your eighth album is one of the greatest, you know, you're, you're in, how do you know you're in the studio recording one of the greatest albums yeah. in the world? So, and that, that was reflected in how the band were. They were never like, oh my, you know, they, they just weren't particularly big personalities at the time, except Roger Waters. But uh, yeah, I, I think there's just, um, you know, when, when, when I first found Dark Side of the Moon, I went on a real, I mean, Pink Floyd is, uh, it's the band that I know the most about out of any, out of any solo artist or band in the world. Pink, you know, if I was going to go on university, if I was going to go on Mastermind or whatever, Pink Floyd would be, <laughs> and it's just because I've read so many books on them. Like, if I see a book about Pink Floyd, doesn't matter who's written it, I'll, I'll buy it and read it. Yeah. And I think over the years, I've just amassed such a. It's just, a, it's not just about the, you know, it's the things that happen in between the albums and the things that are going on between the band and the family members associated with the band and how each album came about. And there's just all sorts. It's, so I think um, it is. It's an experience rather than just an album. And and if I had to pick a favorite album, it it didn't it didn't. I didn't hesitate to make it Dark Side of the Moon. <laughs> um, although I do absolutely love, um, there's, there's, there's a few Pink Floyd albums post Roger Waters that are absolutely yeah. fantastic albums and Division Bell is one. Well, that's, I think that's why I went for Division Bell first when, when I was trying to find yours because obviously I did think it was later on in their career. I mean, but it, it, insane for Division Bell to be your favourite Pink Floyd. You would have to be clinically insane it's your favorite it's a cracking one but it's but that's genuinely that's the first proper album i listened to all the way through of theirs really yeah yeah i remember you saying 
you weren't actually that familiar with it and you, you know you made a point of uh, getting into it yeah and the earlier stuff and I, I think i was actually there when you first found like wish you were here in dark side of the moon in a real way like in a, in a way yeah. you really gave it some attention yeah uh, oh the wall obviously i see it. i saw that i saw the film the wall i must have been about 12 i remember thinking this is weird <laughs> i remember i watched it um, the, the only thing I remember is him shaving his nipples off, and it makes me makes me cringe even now. Um, yeah, Bob Geldof. Give me your nipples. Yeah. yeah. Face this way. Yeah, the That's you the wall You stand still, laddie. Laddie, face this way. Behind the bike sheds. If you don't have your meat, you can't have any pudding. You don't you face any pudding if you don't teach your feet! You don't face me, you're not gonna get any pudding! <laughs> <laughs>
it's staggering from end to end. It, it just is. Um, I think it, it's kind of their, it's almost their acting baby. Um, right. you know, they stopped being this pop band. Um, you know, I, I, di- I didn't realise until later on how boy bandy they were at first. You know, if you do a search for Depeche Mode in the eighties, it's like watching One Direction. Um, and it, it's they're just so clean yeah, cut. They have got choreographed dance routines, and not far from it. But you know, it, it's um, if if it was now, definitely. But no, it, it's the first sort of album where they kind of exp- went a bit darker. If we were doing a top ten of our our favorite just songs of all time. My number one would be Enjoy the Silence by Depeche Mode. So it felt wrong to not have that album uh, as my number one. Uh, the whole album is, is just fantastic anyway. Um, there's a couple of things. A couple of thi- uh, it, it, again, it's another one where it was a whole very successful campaign. You know, the singles were perfect off it. Again, some of the B-sides off those could have been on the album easily. <laughs> little little known fact that there's a uh, world in my eyes was the last single they released and it, it came as like an ep and there's two songs as b-sides uh, one of them was called sea of sin um and isn't that what the guy from catchphrase used to say <laughs> sea, sea of sin <laughs> um and then just throw them out chasing them off with a cross um the bloodhound gang you know the bloodhound gang yeah, yeah. Chasey Lane, Chasey Lane, a road Ballad to it. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. is that is basically Sea of Sin. Oh right, okay. So he, uh, the the more I look into it, I, I I think I want to meet the guy who does the songs for Bloodhound Gang because um, Chasey Lane, which I liked anyway, um, is the bass line and the me- melody of Sea of Sin. Because uh, Sea of Sin goes, uh, Sea of Sin, I'm living in Anawanda. Where you got Chasing Dear, Chasey Lane, I wrote to explain, I'm your biggest fan. It, it, it's the same song. Um, also, <laughs> little extra Pet Shop Boys fact Bad Touch yeah. is exactly the same, but it's uh, In the Night by the Pet Shop Boys. Thing. Yeah. Because they sampled a lot of um uh, 80s um, yeah. songs um and did a lot of did a lot of covers like they did yeah. run DMC, you know. Yeah. Um, well I, I read I read an interview pre- preparing for this and his two favourite artists are Depeche Mode and the Pet Shop Boys. So <laughs> so my blood bloodhound gang have gone up in my estimation. Um and also Pet Shop Boys remixed one of their singles as well. Um so it kind of fits nicely. But no, Depeche Mode, it was it was it was their kind of a, a first proper grown-up album. The, the previous album they'd done before, Music for the Masses, was huge in America. Um and this was their sort of next album after becoming massive. I mean they were big. But this kind of tipped them over. Um, it's produced by Flood, I think, off the top of my head, um, who did, I think it's produced by Flood, I'm sure it is, who was a big, he was a quite influential in Acton Baby as well. It's, it's a perfect album. I can't go on for 40 minutes like you have about Pink Floyd, but, you know, um, I can. It, it's, uh, the thing is, for, for me, the next album, Songs of Faith and Devotion, it is as good 
and in some 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 respects better. But this album is the reason why I like Depeche Mode. But ultimately, it all comes back to the Pet Shop Boys. Most of my choices, it, most of my musical tastes are because of the Pet Shop Boys. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Um, and and it's some of it's quite tenuous, and some of it's you know Depeche Mode asked electronic, which was lead singer of New Order, Bernard Sumner, and Johnny Marr from the Smiths, because they were a band at the time, and Neil Tennant and Chris Lowe worked with Electronic. They Depeche Mode asked them to support them on tour, so I thought, well, if the Petra Boys are supporting them, I, I should start listening to Depeche Mode, so I listened to Depeche Mode. New Order was Neil Tennant's favourite band, um, so so I thought, well, if if Neil Tennant listens to him, I might I should start listening to them. It's quite um, uh, it's, it's quite strange, and that like you know, considering that it all stemmed from Pet Shop Boys, that <laughs> your favorite album is actually a Depeche Mode one. <laughs> I, I think I think the problem is the problem is it's it's easier to choose a Depeche Mode because their their best two albums are Violator in 1990 and Songs of Devotion in '93. Pet Shop Boys. I've got 15 to choose, 14, 15 albums to choose from, plus the ballet they did, plus the uh, musical they did, plus all sorts of things. You know, th- there's, there's almost too much to choose from. Yeah. Um, so it's actually easier to, to choose Depeche Mode as <laughs> my number one. Um, and it is, it is if, if you told me that I could never listen to that album again, I, I, would, I would fight you. <laughs> uh, for it um, whereas there's probably some Pet Shop Boys albums that if you said right you're not listening to that one ever again I go oh fair enough I've still got these yeah um, so you know um, Erasure Vince Clark was in Depeche Mode so I only really like Erasure because of Depeche Mode and then Pet Shop Boys uh, Suede uh, the original advert that Brett Anderson did for it advertised in NME for a guitarist. He said he wanted someone that was into the Pet Shop Boys because the, the band was going to be like a rocky Pet Shop Boys. <laughs> so it is quite scary how most of my influences are because of the Pet Shop Boys. And then I still don't, I still don't do it. Still don't put them as number one. Scarlett Johansson, when she was making her album, she wanted it to sound like New Order, which in turn means that the Pet Shop Boys have given us Scarlett Johansson as well. You're welcome. Um, so you know, <laughs> so it's everything, and, it, and I think it's just a testament to how much I like the Pet Shop Boys that the influence still all in my musical taste, and then I bump into number two. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Done. curveball I guess it's worth asking of each other this question is, is you know like because we've known each other for a few years and, and, and talked a lot over the year well you've talked endlessly over the years about music um, yeah were, were there any sort of in, in my list um, that, that you would have expected to see that you didn't I, I thought I would see the wall because um, I think I've said that every time <laughs> every time I've, you've asked me um, but obviously with you with putting a limit on you know if we're honest if we'd have put no limit on artists you just heard 10 Petra Boys albums um, yeah. so you know so that so now, now you put it as number one I can understand it um, not really you, you, you've kind of 
you've kind of ticked all the boxes that I thought you would. Um, apart from the fact that Tool, Tool weren't in there, but you know. I'm still waiting for it. Not really. I, I think, um, like I say, Pink Floyd were in there. Sam and, and Garfunkel, I know how much they mean to you. War of the Worlds, obviously. <laughs> um, I think uh, Les Mis is always a weird one for you. Yeah. You, you shouldn't like that because of what else you're into. I, I don't. Um, so let, let me let me show you not something. You, not, not that you shouldn't like it, maybe, but that it's so high. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, but the thing is, I, I tried to sort of step back and, and cross different genres because I think that's one thing that because you, you do you do have you know favourites in different genres, but I think your genres are a lot smaller than what mine are. <laughs> so, so, you, so, so you tend to go for sort of electronica. Eight, eight. So, if you were to have like three sort of genres, you have electronica, and then sort of nineteen eighties is a sort of electronica subcategory, and then like it's sort of like indie style stuff. And yeah. They are three primary, and then there's some outliers. So, I, 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 part of me expected to see Elton John in your list. Yeah, yeah. Who um, <laughs> would be an outlier to all of that? Yeah. But um, for, for for me, Alton John, I've always loved his singles. Yeah, that's why he's not in mine, to be honest. Because uh, I, I think if, if at times I've kind of thought I need to go and buy all of Elton John's albums on vinyl. Yeah. And you look and you think, well, I know I definitely know two, and they're amazing songs. I think I might know that one, but then I don't know the rest. So. Well, we should wrap it up, I reckon. Yeah, seems we've, we, rather than the big banging trumped up ending, we've sort of fizzled out. It's dark side of the moon. Good night, Drake Mark. Drake Mark? Drake Mark? Mic drop. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's fine. So, yeah. Uh, thanks for listening. That's our top 10. Hope you enjoyed it. We will be back um, potentially with an extra episode at some point within the next week or so. Um, your episode could be quite interesting. Yeah, so we'll do that and then we'll throw it open to everyone else. So thanks for listening and I hope you enjoyed it. Any last words, Ross? Yeah, um, yeah I hope you've enjoyed the journey thus far. Um, as always, check us out on Facebook. Um, you can listen to all the podcasts there. Um, if you've got any ideas of, of what you would like to hear, we're going to be asking people to come on as a guest um, and we'll determine the subject matter of that. Whatever you want to chat about, we're happy to chat about. And, and we really mean anything, don't we, Simon? Yes. <laughs> yes, we um, do. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you and see you again soon. See you soon.